0: Our speakers today are Oliver Jeffers and Sam Winston, and we'll be hearing about their collaborative endeavor, A Child of Books, published by Candlewick in September of last year. A Child of Books is the winner of the 2017 Bologna Ragazzi Award for Fiction, a prestigious international prize for graphic editorial production in children's publishing. Oliver Jeffers has risen to veritable stardom as a children's book author and illustrator with his distinctive hand lettering, mixed media style, and creative storytelling. His picture books include the award-winning The Incredible Book-Eating Boy, The Heart in the Bottle, and Lost and Found, among others. The Day the Crayons Quit, which he illustrated, is currently enjoying its 191st day, uh, week on the New York Times bestseller list. Outside of his work in children's publishing, Jeffers is an accomplished artist who has exhibited paintings and installations in the US and Europe, and who has taken on a wide variety of projects across media, including recent work in film. Sam Winston's artwork is centered around language and the written word, and has been exhibited around the world. Winston gained renown for his artist books and typography, and the scope of his artwork extends to drawing, performance, poetry, and now the picture book. The Boston Athenaeum holds a number of his artist books in our special collections, and we're in very good company. Tate Britain, the British Library, the Library of Congress, and MoMA are some of the others who can make that claim. After the book talk, there will be some time for Q&A. As you may have noticed, Harvard Bookstore will be selling books outside of this room, and you can get them signed out there as well. We'll have the signing uh, back there. Uh, We also have one of uh, Sam Winston's artist books, A Dictionary Story, on view in the display case at the front left of this room, which I encourage you to take a look at after the talk. And then finally, back in our children's library, we have a couple tables set up with some typographically themed art supplies. So if the talk leaves you inspired, you can make something of your own to take home. So with all that said, Please join me in welcoming Oliver Jeffers and Sam Winston.
1: Hello everybody, I'm Oliver. I'm Sam. And uh, this is what we look like. Just in case you need to know, um, this is Sam, and that is me. <laughs> so you can tell us apart. Um, we met, um, we were introduced by a mutual friend who just thought that we would work well together, um, who knew both of our works and just said, you two would get along. Um, Sa- also called Sam, which became very confusing in email chains, for me anyway. You probably knew that that Sam wasn't, it wasn't cool,
2: me. Wasn't me, yeah, that's but true.
1: Um, And we really liked each other's work an awful lot and decided to start working on something together, and that's what we're going to talk about now. Um, If uh, if there's a a fairly big children's literature crowd here, you you may have heard of my work, you may have seen my work, but possibly um, if you're from that world, you may not have seen Sam's work. And then the other way around, if it's the the, the art book world, you may know Sam's work and not mine, but this is some of Sam's works. And this is one of the first projects that Sam showed me. And you want to... Do you yeah, know, for
2: people? So um, this this piece I am really interested in stories, but I'm I'm kind of interested in how stories are made. So I'll look at the page, I'll look at the letter form, I'll look at the shapes, I'll look at the language itself, and I'll sort of I'll sort of take that. So what you're looking at is a collage made out of the text from Romeo and Juliet. And kind of if you know the text of Romeo and Juliet, there's all these kind of different uh, emotional landscapes. So I was separating the texts into different kind of emotions and this particular collage is made out of all the words from said in anger so it's kind of all the words said in rage and cut up and collaged into a, this you can't really it's it's about the size uh, what's the references but it's probably about twice the size of this piece up there and it's all hand cut collage individual letters yeah
1: but you can read it
2: you can no not oh. that you can read. You can read this, um, and, the, and that's that's over there. And that's the book version is over there. What you're looking up here is a, is a, is a print. And if you can sort of just about make out that there's two columns of text, so this is a story. I can't see the mouse. Oh, you can't see the mouse. Okay, in the top left-hand corner, basically the words of the story on this one are running down the left-hand column, and then the definitions, like in a dictionary, are running opposite to it. So you actually just read it down all the way down, but it has its definitions running alongside, just in case there's a word you don't know. or It just makes for sure it's best to see it in the book over there. But that's sort of a little bit of what I did.
1: So when I saw this project, I knew that Sam was an artist who relished in storytelling and, and had a really particularly interesting eye for, for how to tell that story using the turn of a page. And um, around this point when I was looking at this project, we decided to work together and this is a photograph of us when.
2: So we've got we this weird a to bit of meeting and then and then kind of realizing we sort of we did it like yesterday as well. Where it was like you're wearing my clothes, as in we swap out quite a lot, which is why we felt it's important
1: to differentiate between us with those those photographs. But um, <clears throat> the seed of an idea of something that we were going to do together, when we decided we worked together, we didn't know what it would be. We didn't know it would be a book or whether it would be an art project or what it would be, um, and we would talk back and forth about various beginning points, and the seed of an idea that we just decided to start with, um, and actually the title of the project came from a project that Sam had recently completed called Orphan.
2: So, have you ever written a really bad story? <laughs> I, I kind of do that quite a lot. So, uh... Uh, I I had a habit of writing bad stories for about 10 years Well I still do write plenty of bad stories And every now and again I might pull off a sentence that's kind of alright So this, this particular project was exactly about that So I kept on writing stories and going oh I'm not really into it And then I'd save the draft of it So I collected all the notes from all of my storytelling Until I had this big pile of sheets of all the stories And then I started collecting books that I was reading that I really liked Which is some of that And when I finally had this big pile of paper and a story that I thought was kind of decent, I began to cut out all of the letters. So I'd cut out all of these clouds. And then I would stick all the words like and. Is there a slide with and? Oh, I. And then that was my like word cloud of all the... So it's made out of all of my failed stories. And it's making a word that I use in the story that I like. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: And the, the, this is the first several pages
2: from that book. I am a child of books. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what the book so that's what one of my books looks like so it 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 has all of it has all of these clouds of words that you read and the sentences are normal sentences, but it's made out of all of the drafts that went into writing it and then in the second chapter, which is the section here, it has all of the books I was cutting up to make my story It's a bit like our imaginations right you're kind of in this place where you kind of you you watch a film or you read a book and then that feeds into your ideas so this book was a, it's an illustrated book but illustrated by other books that I liked <laughs> um, but we love this, this idea
1: um, uh, using a way of exploring books and more than just books um, stories because we both love storytelling uh, and stories obviously can come in many different shapes and forms like in cartoons or in films or in plays or something that you just are told or tell uh, and I think it's one of the most important aspects of understanding who we are, who anybody is and, and where we come from and I think it's a shared belief uh, in the importance of storytelling that was the seal in our collaboration together. Uh, we have both made art about the power of stories. So Sam's Orphan was the, the, we've already discussed, was the project that really overlapped an awful lot with the project that I was making in the fine art world. Because for those of you who don't know, I started my, I suppose once I graduated from college, My direction was I was becoming a fine artist when I discovered picture books. And to to the surprise of of some, I didn't then stop making fine art. I just decided to have two separate careers. So half of my time, I'm in the fine art world. And half of my time, I'm in the publishing world. And this is one of the fine art projects that I have been working on for about five years. Um, And it's uh, based on a previous project I'd made about how science and art are two totally different ways of looking at each other. So what I did for this project is I fully painted a portrait um, that hopefully is, is like the sort of portraits that you see in this room. Um, I did have one portrait that I painted um, on display in the National Portrait Gallery in London, so that's it's a totally different style for, for me from my illustrated work, from my published work. Um, but I fully painted this portrait, and then I plunged the bottom half into a vat of enamel paint just to see what would happen. And I like the idea of permanently hiding a piece of art. And it's something that i had been experimenting with before in different ways. So this is, do you ever get that the more you accomplish, the more you do, the more you feel you need to get done. So the busier you are, the busier you need to be. Um, I made a piece of art about that, and this is a a portrait of Eric Schmidt, who founded Google, and it's called Search Results. And sort of just like the the idea of being drowned in a sea of information. But So I was playing about with notions like this and hiding paintings, so it was a natural step to then take a piece of art and just dip it in a bucket of paint, um, just to see what did happen. And an interesting thing did happen, because I was so preoccupied with how you actually build a box that's big enough and how much paint goes in, etc. that I forgot to take a photograph of this painting before <laughs> I put it in. Um, so people wondered whether... Wh- it got displayed in the Brooklyn Museum and and it kind of caught a life of its own online and, and loads of people would say to me, did you really paint the whole thing? And I was like, yes, I did. I just have no proof whatsoever. <laughs> and it reminded me of a time that I was in a coffee shop and uh, I was t- taking my coffee and I went over to the milk counter and I was putting the the lid on the, it was an iced coffee thankfully um, lid on and then my phone rang and I kind of went to to get it and I knocked the cup of coffee over and it rotated on the way down and I managed to catch it right side up and went this far from the floor with my left hand and I thought that's the coolest thing I've ever done <laughs> and I looked around and nobody saw it
2: <laughs> but
1: <clears throat> anyway so I, I love the result of this story and I'm, I'm totally digressing here but uh, I, uh, I didn't, and I wanted to make more. I just didn't want to start arbitrarily just plunging paintings for, for no reason. I knew there was a greater meaning lurking in there somewhere. Um, but storytelling was actually the key to unlocking it. A year after I, I, I dipped this painting, it turns out that a photograph did exist. Um, it's one that somebody else took of me and my studio, and that painting was over my shoulder. And what really struck me was that in that course of a year, I remembered the painting differently. My memory of it had totally changed. And then that night, my younger brother, Brian, was over visiting from Belfast, Northern Ireland, which is where I'm from. That's why the way I speak is because of that. Did you know that people from Northern Ireland are the only people in the entire planet that don't have an accent? (laughs) (laughs) So you all probably have American accents, but... Anyway, um, my younger brother started telling a story about our mother, and our mother passed away 15 years ago, and and, uh, he started telling it wrong. And being his big brother, it's my duty and obligation to correct him publicly when he does something wrong. (laughs) But because I had just looked at that photograph that day, and I remembered the painting wrong, I didn't correct it because suddenly I was thinking, maybe maybe my memory of it is wrong as well. So it started this whole uh, uh, separate project for me about dipping paintings and storytelling and meaning. And uh, so I started painting people and interviewing them um, at at length, and then not taking any photographs of the paintings, but as part of a public performance in front of a very small group of people, unveiling the painting, not letting anybody take a photograph, then submerging the painting and asking them to record on camera what they remember seeing afterwards, and then following up with that months, sometimes years later, to see what they still remember. And I suppose this is how histories have always been passed down, through word of mouth and through oral storytelling and so on and so forth. And and it's how identities are created. Um, I've come to realize that we are no more than the stories we tell that we are told and that are told about us. (laughs) I can't remember who said that, but it's said that after food, shelter, and medicine, stories are the things that we need most in the world. And I, I agree with that. And Sam agrees with that. And this is a quote that we both love and came to epitomise our collaboration, and it's one of two quotes that are at the start of our book.
2: The universe is made of stories, not of atoms. And the quote, uh, I think I found Muriel Ruickser. I'm apologies if I haven't got the, have got the pronunciation. Reusker. Um Yeah, and I think so. That's how we met. Is that I had been working on this book that I had been cutting up all these other stories. Oliver had been doing paintings and collecting people's stories, so it's quite clear that we were very interested in stories. Uh, and then it was the thing about, okay, so we, we've got this sort of background. What's the...?
1: That? Yeah, basically, so the, the one of two quotes, and this one I think epitomizes our, our love of storytelling, um, and the other one actually comes from Auschwitz, If believe it or not. Uh, so I was working on a project, and I've been doing a lot of research, for a book that came out just last year, well, the 10th anniversary edition of it came out just last year, The actually the, the Boy in the Strap Pajamas was published 10 years ago. And I illustrated this book for John Boyne. So I had been doing a lot of research about Auschwitz and, and about um, that, that period of time. And Sam had been doing some work on reconciliation physically at uh, the place the, the, that is called Auschwitz. Um, and oh. we discovered the writings of Primo Levi
2: yeah and one of the stories you know the the orphan book that i showed you at the beginning it has it has this it has these clouds of words and one of the books that i was cutting up was a text by primo levi and there's a incredibly unfortunately heartbreaking story about um just a, a child that survives that space and the final lines were he had fought like a man till his last breath to gain entry into this world of men from which um this, his name was Herbenick, the Nameless, whose tiny four, forearm, even his, bore the tattoos of Auschwitz. Herbick died in the first days of March. Oh, there we go. Free but not redeemed, nothing remains of him, but he bears witness through these words of mine. And I, and that's not, I think, you know, that's quite an adult idea, as in, um, he's Levy is commenting about how stories kind of memorialise people, and, and I... That isn't at the core of the children's book, it, but it was some of, as inspiration as artists, that was where we were. We were kind of very much kind of talking about that as a theme.
1: And something about the sentiment of that quote reminded me of something that I had heard before, which was that someone lives for as long as you remember the smile on their face, hum their favourite songs, and tell their favourite stories. And it was actually my mum who said that. Um, <laughs> and it's whenever my mum had MS, and as a young child, I remember trying to grasp my head around this illness, like, how long does somebody live for? And she she answered that. And uh, I thought it was just a sort of a flippant answer at the time. But then at the time of her funeral, when we were all, all around just relishing telling these stories of all this crazy stuff that she had done and just how much she embraced life, I realized that she was had been bang on accurate. Um, and it led me to sort of an understanding of what immortality is. Um, And it also is partially in dealing with with that uh, and comparing my experience with other people who had sort of more aggressive forms of grieving, that led me to create this book, The Heart and the Ball, um, which in its own way is is more about the power of curiosity than anything else um, and how curiosity breeds imagination. And so a quote that I had only heard for the first time last year, imagination is more powerful than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. (laughs) but imagination encircles the world, and that was by a scientist, which I thought was absolutely fascinating, Albert Einstein. Anyway. Right. (laughs) We had our concept. We knew roughly what this project was going to be about, Um, and we had the heart of it nailed. So to make an art project about the power of imagination, storytelling, and using a history of literature as our canvas, we started trying to figure out um, how we would use my drawings uh, moving through a landscape of Sam's typography
2: so uh, initially we would just I'd was sent, I'd sent him bits and, bits and pieces from my old folio and Oliver would kind of draw on them and we'd sort of say mm, this is kind of working this isn't working so from a creative standpoint you're kind of like well how do words meet images uh, and we didn't want to do it in a very kind of traditional way but That's a very early storyboard, so, you know, you sit down and you kind of go, well, we'll have this happen, and then there'll be a girl on a raft, and then we'll have the ocean, and I like my wave. I actually don't know why we didn't use these as final images, I just thought... (laughs) I thought thought that was it, really.
1: This is how anybody goes about making a book. This is the thumbnail stage, where you roughly plan out what is going to happen and where. Um, Because most picture books are only 32 pages, or sometimes 40 pages, because of the way that they print in full pages. So you have only a certain set amount of space in which to establish a beginning, a middle, and an end of a story. So we went through probably about a year of back and forth with this, deciding what went where and roughly what the scenes were. and there's a lot of new territory for both of us here because we hadn't seen any other work quite like what we were trying to do, where the typeset lives so interactively with the illustrations that it's, it's hard to tell where the, the words stop and the pictures begin. Um, so we really had to kind of figure out how to build this, this process from scratch. Um, and logistically, that required us to physically be in the same place at the same time to hammer everything out. But at this point, we really ran into a problem. Um, Geography (laughs) Or more specifically the Atlantic Ocean Because I live and work in New York City And Sam lives and works in London Um, So we kept getting distracted Whenever we would go to each other's studios For a couple of hours at a time And we had this great idea That if we could just go to some place That was neither of our studios For a set amount of time We might actually get some work done Um, And so we did a residency in rural Georgia For how long was that for?
2: Ten days? Two weeks?
1: Two weeks, something like that, yeah. Where we sat at the same desk. Um, It was hot, so we moved that desk outside occasionally. um, And figured out how we did this. How how do we actually make the work if you need to know what the characters are going to do before you set the type, and I need to know what the type's going to do before I draw the characters. So it was really in those two weeks in rural Georgia that we cracked the the backbone of the project. And as for the nuts and bolts of how we, we made the images, we initially began to... Identify th- threads from our previous work, um, sort of uh, elements that would complement each other. So we made some rudimentary sketches. Um, so like, how how, do, how would I do a wave? That's how I would do a wave. How would that work using the texture of Sam's type? So what we would do is roughly draw them out and say, well, how how do we use words to make this shape?
2: I like this one. He didn't. He was like, no, let's. It do looks a like a thumbprint. Well, you did not like it. but I
1: didn't yeah. like it. It just doesn't look like a wave. As far as that, once you remove the drawing from behind it, it didn't look like a wave. Um, but there's another example where I've drawn a mountain and, and then some of Sam's text that possibly overlaps with how you would do that texture. And then a really early drawing of the, the, the mountain scene and then how that might work using words. So we figured out, well, rather Sam has always known that the 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 values of Sam's work in terms of light and dark and
2: he would he'd basically we'd invented a language so he would work in line work so when you look at the long orange lines I'm knowing they're sentences when we look at the smaller orange marks they're words and then the tiny dots and then at the bottom there there's letters the there letters. Dots. and then at the bottom there's these tiny little references oranges and then he would put the point size so we kind of basically made our little code and how we would talk to each other
1: and then I would draw on top of those for I the characters would look and then.
2: We'd spill coffee on it.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a professional thing. It's just, you know what it's like. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a thing.
1: So then Sam would take this rough guide into InDesign and start to typeset how it would actually work. And then there it is.
2: In the uh, in the final piece, the final book. But so before the one thing we didn't mention in that, or do we do this later? I don't
1: know. What are you going to talk about?
2: The the content. We'd have a lot of fun just talking about what's a mountain of make believe, and then we'd have this discussion about like uh, Moby Dick, no, and then kind of you know on that particular spread, it's Peter Pan, which is yeah. so so in the middle here is Peter Pan telling Wendy she's got to believe in Tinkerbell, so. You know, for her
1: to exist for
2: her mm-hmm. to exist so they're climbing mountains of make believe so for those cuz i think one of the things that we wanted to do with the <coughs> book is that we didn't want it just to be like book child we want book parent child because the cuz you know we've all got stories right and we've all grown up with peter pan and then there's this conversation of what's peter pan oh peter pan's the one where the kids and he never grows old and so it's a triangle rather than just a two way street and we kind of that's sort of what the one of the ideas behind the book
1: I think we do talk about that. About Sorry,
2: that. we talked about that later, so I didn't say that, well, but <laughs> late, later I that think, happens.
1: Yeah. Um, but so anyway, the, another example of one of the spreads right the way through. It would start with a sketch like this, then start to try to figure out how the words make up that shape. Uh, then we break that down as a line, a word, a letter, etc. And this is one of the more complicated ones because we thought that maybe we can get away with like the words sort of suggest the shape, and then we use ink to... Uh, make the the dense black shape, but it just wasn't quite working. So whenever I went back to Sam, I was like, "I'm really sorry, Sam. I don't think we can use the black paint to make it look like the cave. You're gonna have to go in and do that typographically." That hurt. Which looks like that.
2: <laughs> so so we're just kind of building up from yeah zero because we yeah we, we, I really wanted the black ink to work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then that's how it looks in the in the the, the final one. So those uh, all are individual. Even when it gets really dense black, those are words. Um, so but it wasn't it wasn't that simple, but you know, that sounds like it's really easy, just go make that look like it's a dense black shape. If you look at this spread, each red thing is an individual text box for any designers out there.
2: So I've rotated each one of these letters by hand. So, it's so just to get of... that's
1: zoomed in. This is still zoomed in. That's how the, the whole thing Actually, looks so the file sizes were absolutely enormous.
2: Um, yeah.
1: Here we are. For the, the forest spread, we just thought that maybe this is an opportunity to, to, to do something a little bit different. Rather than just use the, the dense typography of the trees, we have another opportunity to use something else that's related to and literature. And
2: I've been soaking I've been books in bathtubs. Why? Can't explain why. There were thrift store books, okay? It was fine. They're not. They're not Athenian books. It's fine. <laughs> um,
1: but the and this this is a back and forth that we had. I liked the idea of this, but I didn't think it looked. I didn't think it felt like a forest. Um, and I couldn't quite figure it out at first. So I I kept going back and saying, no, we need to do this again. We need to figure out another way. He's a
2: taskmaster. That's the bottom line. He's just like wouldn't let it go anyway. But rightly uh, so.
1: But then I was like, okay, well, if I draw for forest, let me just see what I would do naturally to to figure that out. Um, And it became obvious right away that the trees felt more like trees if they went off the top of the page, rather than where you could see the top, because then it looks like a a stump more than anything. So I did that in paint, and then we used uh, straighter, taller books that just went right off the top of the page. So that's, that's where they... Came back in. But the key, the key to. So,
2: this is the kind of juicy illustrative image part, but I think one of the key things that was so important to us was we'd, we'd got to a text that was very rich for the imagination. The line is, We will lose ourselves in a forest of fairy tales. For an illustrator or an artist, that's great. You're just like, Wow, what does that look like? That's just so juicy and kind of rich to explore. It's, <laughs> it's, it's very hard to make images for words and stories that are kind of boring and so it, we were lucky in that we had got to a text that we really enjoyed and if
1: you look up close these are all from grim
2: fairy tales brothers Grimms. so the text in these yeah the branches are made out of the um little red cap and uh, yeah other such stories uh
1: this was the very first sketch for the visual climax of the book where. Everything sort of explodes into life, um, and it doesn't really make much sense. But we we knew what we wanted to do, um, and as we kept coming back to this this reference of a world of stories, um, we thought that a much better solution for that might be an an actual world. So we painted this globe and had all the words spinning around the words spinning around it and flying off and turning into pictures and everything. And so this um, actually started as a collage that looked like this, and then I would go in and draw on top of it, where the characters would be, what the, 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 the text line should be, so that Sam then would go off and do his part of the, this art, which, as an InDesign file, looks like this. And then whenever I had finished that art and we put the two back together, the result is, is this piece of art, where it's sort of this, this explosion of imagination. And you sort of watch this, effectively, does a timid reader, become genuinely excited for the first time. Um, you may have noticed that at an early stage the the main character, the child of books was a boy at one point but in the actual book uh, she is a girl, she's female (laughs) Sam, talk about this
2: (laughs) I think um, at some point it was um, we had the the main character just being a boy and just going let's go on this adventure I think it was just the, the how do you put it I wanted the energy to be feminine. It had to be something like... The, the role model of, like, loud, boisterous boy going on adventure seems a bit cliche, so it was much nicer to have a really strong female lead that was like, Why, we can do this. And, and for me, the, it's, it's that spread. She just looks cool. She's just like, yeah, look, check this out. Look what we've done. And, 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 and it's good, because, you know, boys, for however noisy they are, they, they can be... They're allowed to be shy and nervous and scared. It's not exactly it. So we wanted to do a bit of a reversal and give some different archetypes.
1: But I think, um, and and possibly there's librarians or teachers here who can verify this, but I think timid readers tend to more classically be boys than girls. Is that true or is that a, a wild approximation? It depends. It depends. But but whether it's true or not, we decided that our character as a timid reader was going to be a boy because Sam uh, is dyslexic and was a very timid reader. Whenever you were Uh, going through the early days of school, I was still loud. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But I've had. I. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) Did we? Um, I think, yeah, I am dyslexic, and it, definitely language was a hard acquisition for me, hence the fascination with language and words, as in that's, that, that kind of went hand in hand. I, I was a really frustrated reader, I think. I, I would get angry and shout a lot, but in that sense, yeah. okay.
1: And, and I've come to learn that it's interesting that a lot of designers have a, a tendency to be dyslexic because there's a, a, a detachment from the word as meaning, uh, and, and more of an ability to be able to see the word as a shape. So just looking at purely pictorially, which I've always thought was interesting. Um, and you were saying something about how the, the, the rate at which the, the dyslexic rate in art college students and in... Yeah. in uh, Kids, and
2: there was, I remember just there was, someone had written an article in which um, the Royal College of Art is a very prestigious art school in London and it had a, a, a ratio of around 60 40. 60% had some sort of learning or reading difficulty, but they were very visually literate, but then that correlated also to young offenders. So it was kind of like, yeah. So I just thought it was interesting to stick the two next to each other, you know, and nature nurture argument and whether...
1: Depends on the breaks you get. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, it's tough and that's that's uh, not, yeah, it's not fair. Mm. But anyway. Right. Uh,
1: so this is an early, early painting for the cover. Uh, we were, I was at one point experimenting with a very visually realistic style, but it didn't feel quite right. Um, so the ultimately the way she's um, illustrated for the cover is is more like this. And the way in which this character was designed is more of a nod to some of our favourite timeless stories. The way in which I normally draw looks like not unlike this. And there's an author called Owen Culfer who um, uh, I worked on a book with called Imaginary Fred. came out last year the year before. Uh, And he asked me in all sincerity why my pictures looked like a drunk one-eyed monkey drew them. (laughs) And then even more brilliantly, his 16-year-old son asked me at an event he Put his hand up on everything At an event And, and said Why are your drawing so popular? <laughs> it's like the, the, the worst backhanded compliment I've ever I know but <laughs> to, to, to,
2: no, On this one as well I, I, Oliver doesn't read reviews But my, one of my favourites was like I don't see why Oliver Couldn't have done this on his own <laughs> <laughs> uh, So these are some character
1: sketches For how how the uh, the, the characters in this Eventually Came to to be, um, and I looked at the, the the likes of the works of Sir John Tenniel, who did Alice in Wonderland and Sendak, to name a few, in order to, to sort of better represent these classic books that we're paying homage to. Um, and a big part of this project for us was about capturing some of the magic that happens when you first get lost in a timeless story. That moment where it, you're not reading words on a page, you're you're watching something unfold in your head. Um, and we wanted to represent. A cross section of, of classic literature, so this is how we chose the classic books that we referenced in, in the in our book and, and why. And, and Sam, you had a great line once that this really is a collaboration between us and forty two long ago dead authors. Uh, and we, in figuring out the the journey, the landscape, we would go, go through scenes that are sort of classics from. Some of these adventure stories, and, and so there's a forest, there's a cave, there's a, a castle, uh, and then we would go through and break down. Well, what are the best books that would um, represent these stories, and and also some of our favourites as we were growing up? And um, this has become a real particular challenge for co-edition publishers. This book has been translated into. Can you remember how many?
2: Seventeen different Se- languages. Seventeen different languages. So think about the images.
1: This is the German version.
2: Yeah. And, uh, so every, it's, not, it's not as if we're translating the story. It's as if they're translating the book.
1: See all of this work in here? Is that's an, also is translated. Done in German. <laughs> but yeah. not... And here's an even it, it one on, step further removed. On, yeah. They're not using the stories that we use because those stories don't always... So they
2: swap out the literature. So the Greeks want Jason and the Argonaut. The French want the Little Prince. So the stories Dutch that are relevant Hans to Christian, their cultures. Hans Christian Andersen. So, so I think I did like I, that makes 42 stories a book and then 17 stories, that's like 470 different iterations of. so the opening line is a child, I'm a child of books and his world of stories it's kind of like how it's entered into this world is this amazing journey in which the I last think, line should
1: be I am tired now yeah yeah yeah
2: the, um, uh, I, think, I think we got really excited especially when um, the, the non-Roman alphabets appeared, so Russian Greek, Chinese Japanese, Japanese So instead of like just kind of every single letter then suddenly becomes, I want Farsi.
1: I think that's coming. Anyway, um, it's become what many people have referred to as officially the most difficult book to translate. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, would you like to hear us read the story? Okay, do you want to read it or should I? Either way. You it. Well, we'll, we'll, I tell you what. We'll go through the book, and then we'll we'll tell you what stories are are which. You do the, I'll do the reading. You do the the telling of what stories are in there.
2: Both at the same time. Yeah, I'll I'll read it, and then yeah.
1: So this is is the title page, and um, it's just the raw elements that I use to to make the drawings. And then, very subtly, you notice that the blank page becomes the seal, and then the the girl is born out of the line from the pen. I am a child of books. I come from a world of stories.
2: So the text underneath in this isn't actually, it just says once upon a time there was a child who loved to read.
1: So that's not from any
2: story really, or from a bunch of stories.
1: And upon my imagination,
2: I float. And every text in this one is basically setting sail on, so it's got the voyage of Dr. Dolittle, it's got, I think there's Sinbad in there, so it's people setting off on great adventure stories.
1: I have sailed across a sea of words to ask if you will come away with me.
2: And here we meet the reluctant reader, uh, and we have this very confident girl. And she's, again, that's Pinocchio, I think, getting shipwrecked, as well as, again, I think, Doolittle and
1: Gulliver's Travels. Gulliver's mm-hmm. Travels, yeah. Some people have forgotten where I live.
2: I like serious Dad, he reads serious stuff. <laughs> I had a lot of fun writing serious stuff.
1: Oh so, do you have do you have can you remember the, the important the, yeah, the, So yeah. Sam actually rewrote or not This re-wrote, is the only wrote, bit that I, I was
2: both. I was right I, I would find like a BBC or CNN news newsfeed and then instead of use Samsung flat screen TV, I'd take out the Samsung bit and put important things. And then it says an important thing has been launched by an important company and then halfway halfway down it says, My cat's very important and then the company says someone says it. I'm afraid it's not. Uh, but I have this weird little monologue in this little bit of text to hear, and I just really like that someone in Russia right now is going, my cat is very important, but in Russia I'm like, great, cool, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's. cats are important in Russia, that's the but, of that.
1: but along these words, I can show you the way.
2: And this was a no-brainer in that we've got this snaking tail, you know, Alice in Wonderland, the mouse's tail, and then if she, if they're going to go climb down, 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 then... Alice goes down the rabbit hole
1: We will travel over mountains of make-believe
2: We already, yeah, that's Peter Pan Discover
1: treasure in the darkness S- uh, Treasure Island kidnapped as well? Yep. yep We can lose ourselves in forests of fairy tales
2: Again, that's all the Grimm's, the brothers, brother Grimm stories
1: And escape monsters in haunted castles
2: He just needs a hug, doesn't he? Yes,
1: yeah, I did I did do a much scarier iteration of this monster but but Sam wanted him to be misunderstood.
2: Yeah. His his teeth his teeth are Frankenstein and it says I'm alone, children of the night. And they're climbing down, let down your hair, yeah, Rapunzel. We will sleep
1: in clouds of song.
2: And these are all classic lullabies, and the thing that when we were getting all of the different foreign editions in, the thing that changed the most, that swapped out the most was the lullabies, as in they don't travel half as well as say Alice in Wonderland so I think that's because lullabies are oral, so from parent to child whereas books, object, they kind of travel a bit, it's a guess I'm not, yeah, I didn't
1: and shout as loud as we like in space shouting
2: doesn't have to be translated (laughs)
1: Uh, but there's also um, Stevenson's. I think it's for The Man on the Moon or something like that. I can't really quite read it. Let's see if I can blow this up. I don't know. Uh, for this is our world we've made from stories.
2: And it's at this point I'm really so uh, I'll supply the type files, and when Oliver puts the collage back on top, so we've got the reluctant reader, and there's loads of nice touches. So he's eyeballing the book that's on the cover. See the red book at the top there with the lock on it? And then this little house in the bottom left-hand corner with the rainbow roof, you'll see that appear in the next spread.
1: But these are also all the final sentences from, from a bunch of classic Yeah, books. sorry.
2: So it, it's the final, like, Alice waking up from the dream. So we've got the Cheshire Cat, and then we've got... There's Black Beauty in there. That's the, that's the kind of spot the book page, as in... There's, yeah. little pe- in the there's a little the- penguin in there somewhere? Yep. Don't know who did that.
1: Uh... Our house is a home of invention.
2: And at this point, the 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 boy and the girl have separated, and now we have a very um, yeah we have a home for the child of books who's living in this very imaginative, colourful house. And now we finally get to our our,
1: where anyone at all can come.
2: A confident reader, and he's sort of now into the world of stories.
1: But the words that are falling out of the book are actually that what has been handwritten up until this point. For imagination is free, and then that's drawn obviously because it's you're using your imagination. But then the the cover is the key and the lock, which had become this this motif throughout the whole thing. And on the cover, the shadow is the first sentence from a lot of classic books. Um, then we had this idea when we when we launched the book to to do something that. That basically just showed the importance of imagination and I think it is it is from that Einstein quote if I can't remember because I haven't actually watched this in a while there's a nice piece of music and I forgot to tell the guys this so you're not going to be able to hear it uh, but you can watch um, oh, let me just see That's Trinity Long Library in Dublin, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous long library. So they use it in the Harry Potter movies. Almost as nice as this. Almost, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the end of our presentation.